Hello, everyone. Coming on to quickly say that this episode contains some content referencing emotional abuse. Please be advised. Hello, and welcome to Wallflowers in Bloom, a podcast where we share the joys and challenges of being introverts. I'm Jenny. And I'm Eric. Each episode, we share with you stories and antidotes that touch on how we prosper and thrive in a world dominated by extroverts. We also have guest speakers who share their experience and expertise on this topic and read letters from our fellow Wallflower listeners on how they cope and conquer. So grab your favorite beverage, settle in, and relax with us. Music is by Nate Johnson. Hello and welcome to Wallflowers in Bloom. I'm Jenny. Hey Jenny, I'm Eric. Hi Eric, we're back. We're back. Love your hair. (laughs) Thank you. I got a cut. I'm feeling good and fresh and ready to start the school year. I've been needing a change. I've had long hair for a while. Did I tell you guys about that incident with my daughter? Yeah, you you talked to me about it, yeah. We'll talk about it a little bit later because I think that's important. Let's do a quick mental health check-in. All right, so how are you feeling? I am really good. Today I went to my friend's, uh, Fran and Christopher's house. Christopher is an artist and works with photography, really great work. And he has an exhibit. It's part of a series here in this part of England. People showcase their work in their homes. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it's for several days. And so I went over today and saw the pieces that he's promoting. He's got a really great work. The pieces are all really big and they're really great. And he's really good with colors. Something that I'm still learning to do in my creative work. (laughs) Put it on Instagram. Yeah, I'll put him in the description as a mention. They hosted a brunch and it was really nice and casual and they have a really nice big backyard. One of the things that I've like here in England is gardens and vegetation and flowers. It just seemed really important here. And I have a new appreciation for nature and especially with bees, because we know bees are being affected. And it's great to see like before in LA, if I saw a bee, I would be chasing after it to get rid of it. (laughs) And I don't do that today because I realize how important they are. And here in people's gardens, you just see them buzzing around and doing what they're supposed to do. And so I noticed them today when we were outside eating and just, you know, if they mind their business, you just leave them alone and let them do what they're doing, which helps us too. Yeah. There's a beehive in our neighbor's yard. It's in his property, but the beehive's entrance is coming out to our backyard. So it's gotten really bad. There's a lot, a lot of bees. And so it's really hard for my daughter to go out there and play. Well, I think too in LA, because LA doesn't have enough vegetation probably to support them. Since being here, I feel like they really do need a lot of nature and vegetation around them. Yeah. And I've been planting sunflowers. (laughs) Yeah. We like you. We're going to stick around. It's kind of like feeding a stray cat. Like, well, he's family now. (laughs) Pretty much. Uh, I was in London, not this past week, but the week before I went up there for a day because where I'm at here in Southern England, it's about an hour train ride up to London. I went up there to meet one of the guests from the other podcast that I'm on. It was interesting because, you know, I'm coming up on two years that I've been here in Europe, you know, LA life. Most of us don't take public transportation. And it wasn't until I left him because we met for about two or three hours 
And then I went and found a vegan bakery that I really liked there that I discovered in 2018. And then it hit me like, oh my God, I didn't get nervous about being on the subway and taking the bus and being on the train. Who am I? Who is this? <laughs> I don't know how you do it for me. I would feel so trapped. But the reality is there's so much public transportation. London is like San Francisco or New York or probably Chicago, too, I've heard. In that public transportation, there's two things. One, it's much better than it is in places like L.A. or Phoenix, where I'm from. But Phoenix and L.A. are very spread out cities, and they didn't design those cities with that in mind. So now they're trying to catch up, I feel like. I was just amazed that I do that now without really thinking about it. Yeah, that's pretty much what's going on with me. How's your week in review? It's been quiet. This past week, I've just kind of been in a funk. My daughter's going back to school physically, and I'm not sure how I feel about that. Listening to how the public school system has been so affected by COVID, you know, there's the cases in Georgia. There is no mass mandate out there. You know, they've had a death in the school, and they've had 78 cases of COVID. Scarlett's old school, they went back on the first day, they had a case of COVID. This parent gave COVID to Scarlett's school. They had gotten tested because they suspected that they had it, and they still showed up to the school and hugged other teachers. To me, that's irresponsible. If you've gotten tested and you're not sure and you're, you're not getting your results until like later that day, stay at home. Just wait until you're sure they infected six teachers. Six teachers. Six teachers, yeah. Because so many people have different opinions and different thoughts, it's just scary to send my daughter out there. My best friend's mom, my childhood best friend's mom used to say something that I never understood until now. It's like, I trust you. I don't trust the world. I don't trust everybody else to comply. From an emotional standpoint, because I know here in England, you know, on the radio, they talk about the adjustment of kids going back to school physically. And I would imagine because you've been able to spend more time with her, that that's an adjustment. You've gotten used to her, and I'm assuming there's been more bonding between the two of you as mother and daughter. Honestly, this gave me an opportunity to do something I never thought I would have the opportunity to do, which is be a stay-at-home mom, at least for a year. I got to stay home with her. You know, when she's done with school, I'm not tired. I'm ready. You know, let's do something. It's a chance I never thought I would get because as a single working mom, as much as you wish you could stay home more or whatever, it's never something that's on the table. But think times are changing. Things are changing. And I feel like now remote work is a lot more acceptable because we've had a whole year of it. Now that she's going back, you know, I might be able to do a little more freelance accounting, focus a little bit more on it and see how I can get that to work and, you know, still be done by two and go pick her up. The realities of just survival with work, hopeful that this pandemic will help not just us, the people, the employees, but the employers, because before, you know, when you were sick, especially when you knew if your job was short staff, it's like, well, I'll go in and if I have to leave, I have to leave. Yeah. And that's the thing like with kids and stuff, it's like how many times as a single parent was my daughter sick? And I was like, I really don't want her going, but I can't miss work. I have to send her to school. And I hope it changes people's 
awareness that, you know, yeah, the physical health, but it's our mental health too, because I remember there was a stress of sometimes if you did call out sick and you'd hear that tone in your supervisor's voice, like, all right, I guess if you're sick. I remember uh, I was pregnant, like I had doctor's appointments and of course the doctors are only open, you know, during the week I had given them like, it's only once a month. And, you know, sure enough, that town, like, do you really have to go to that? And I'm like, yes, I really have to go to one time a month checkup to make sure that my baby is okay. Once I switched over to the accounting side of the corporate, I had a woman and she was a little more understanding when I was on the different department with a male boss, they're less understanding. I remember a coworker sharing that it was her daughter who was sick and they called and she had to rush and leave and the boss grudgingly let her go. And then when she came back the next day, it's like, you need to plan that better. There's things that you can't plan for, especially when you have babies. One minute they're fine, the next one they're puking their guts out. I've heard this isn't a good way of looking at it, um, but this is the way I've looked at it is, yes, pay is important, but I'm more wanting to make sure that they're willing to be flexible with my hours and with my time. And that's the thing that a lot of companies don't understand. Like we as women, we can hear it in your tone that you're annoyed with us. As a single person, the thing I noticed over the years of my employment is that it's encouraged, and this is perception. People seem to light up more when you say you have a family, when you say you're married or you have children. Being happy about that with an employee, as you said, you have to realize that you need to be flexible. And yeah, I understand on one level making sure that people aren't taken advantage of it, but my perception of things is most people that I worked with did not take advantage of it. This is not anywhere close to what you've shared because, you know, especially women and being paid equally. And especially when you have a family, I'm going to say it because I'm learning that in sharing my truth and my experiences, I'm not bashing things. Once I did have to go to specialists, it was concern around my health, finding out that I had low iron levels and they were a little concerned about that. I always try to schedule my doctor's appointments around my lunch break so that I could use that hour and then whatever extra time. So I didn't eat up too much time. I had already shared with my supervisor why I needed to go to the specialist. And I got a call. Um, Eric, can you step out for a second? We just want to ask you something. Oh my God, what's going on? Um, At my job, Fridays was Jean's day. Remember it was a Thursday. Yeah, we just got a call from somebody in another department that they saw a black guy who was wearing jeans and we wanted to know if it was you. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? One, I wasn't wearing jeans. And two, I was like, you know why I'm here. Don't call me about bullshit like that. And then found out later that the person they confused me with, I'm five, ten and a half. This other person is six foot five, shaved head, and several skin tones lighter than me. I'm like, first of all, how did you confuse us? All that to say, I don't get as a parent and as a woman what you're going through. I can't, but um, I agree with everything you said. Yeah. Oh, my God. So today we wanted to talk about our restart in our lives as introverts. Yes. And I think one can have several restarts throughout their lifetime. Sometimes they're forced, sometimes they're by choice. 
So I think I told you I only had one restart. Now that you said, you know, some are forced, I think COVID forces to kind of do a restart in our lives. Oh, yeah, that's true. So I think I've had two restarts in my life. You know, the first one was my separation and divorce and having a restart on my own and be happy with myself. And I think that's why I'm struggling to date. I'm good. I make my own schedule and it's like, do I really want to mess that up? So can you tell me what was your first life-changing event? One of the big ones as a young adult, I'll say, was going into my second year of college. I was 19. Growing up, I always wanted to be a writer. That was one of my passions. And I started college as a journalism major. I never really thought about myself as a journalism major, but I think it was connected to where I know I could get work as a journalist. My goal was to get on the, the paper, school paper. And I got on it twice. And within a week, I realized that it wasn't what I wanted organically. And what had been in the back of my mind that I hadn't shared with anyone is I really wanted to study theater because I always thought about being an actor. And connected to introversion, I'm quiet. It just didn't seem like something that people would assume that I would want to pursue. And I struggled with it. I didn't tell my family right away. I guess I started telling friends and someone suggested that I talk to the career counselor at school. And so I was set up with a black guy. I understood why they did that because they felt like I could connect with him. Yeah. And his suggestion was that I go into business because we need more African-Americans in the business world. And I totally completely agree with that. And I sat there, I remember in his office and I nodded my head, but that thing, your head and your heart have to connect. And I was like, yes, yes, business, business. Yeah, that makes sense was one of those big come to Jesus moments as a young adult. And I realized I get what he's saying, but that's not what I feel like is for me. So I made the decision. I talked to my family and they gave them their opinions and, and I respected them, but I changed my major to theater and changed schools. And that was a big restart for me. I switched cities. I have no regrets to this day about that because it was one of those life decisions I made 100% for myself. I can relate to that. I fell for what everybody was telling me I should do because it's less risky because not everybody makes it in theater. Not everybody makes it in film. Not everybody makes it in art. At the end of the day, it was my choice, but I have learned that if somebody makes a suggestion, I have to really think about it because at the end of the day, I'm the one that's going to be living with the consequences of that choice, not them. I think that's good advice. I went with it. I rolled with it. And, you know, I have a beautiful daughter now and, and now I can make choices that are for me. Another one for me, I made the decision to study theater and I was good at it. And then I got restless. I know one of the reasons I made this next big decision was because we were learning some really great things, but my first awareness as a person of color, the roles were very limited. And I didn't want to be limited by those, at least in my college experience and trying to get community theater work in Tucson. I was ready for change. And so I dropped out of college my third year and decided to move to Los Angeles to pursue acting. How I did it, I wouldn't do that again because I didn't tell anybody or I didn't tell my family, I should say, um, until I got to LA. So I, I wouldn't do it that way again. But why I did it, I have no regrets about that because it was a way for me to grow up a little quicker than I would have if I had stayed in Arizona because I grew up very sheltered. 
I was very book smart, but I didn't have a lot of life experience for who I was at 19, 20, 21 years old. <laughs> yeah. And LA will definitely get you some experiences. They're not, not sheltered here. <laughs> not sheltered. And as an introvert, I didn't have that label. I would not have put that label on myself for who I was when I moved to LA, but I was aware for who I was that it shocked a lot of people. I found out later that a lot of people made bets on how long I would last because of my nature. Oh, Eric won't survive. They'll eat him up. He's too nice. He's too whatever. It was one of those moments in life where I learned that I could survive and that I could not fight, but I could survive. You can make it on your own. I can make it on my own. Yeah. So I don't have regrets about that. Yeah. So for you, because I know like you grew up in LA, but were there other moments in your young adult life? Well, it's funny that you say that. I grew up in LA and I looked for the sheltered life. Every summer, my dad would send, my dad, Robert would send me to my aunt's house in Raleigh. So I pretty much grew up with all my cousins. This is North Carolina? North Carolina, yes. Because, you know, he was working. I didn't have school. Summer camps are expensive. Also, because I was introverted and shy, I didn't want summer camps. I didn't want to be alone. I didn't want to do things by myself, you know, because I was so shy. So I think the best thing my dad came up with was send me to North Carolina. And I loved it. And I loved going there because I felt more of a kid. There was five of us. There was the three boys and then us two girls. So, you know, us two girls would do pranks on the older boys and being adopted, coming from Mexico and then living in LA when I was five. I don't know. And Mexico and LA, it's I don't know. It's it's a weird explanation. If I'm understanding correctly, like where you were in North Carolina, probably there was more places to run around. And yeah. Okay. Here's where I got my fascination for sewing. She would say like, mom, we want to do a quilt. And literally my aunt's like, okay, let's get in the car and go get the supplies that we need. <laughs> and I don't think they realized that like that kind of stunned me. Cause I was like, she's going to let us do this. She's going to let us express ourselves. She's going to let us try this. Or we've had magazines and stuff. And we're like, oh, we want to make this in the backyard. And she's like, okay, what do you guys need? And we would go in the backyard and make this. And I didn't feel so restricted. I felt like I could be a kid. I felt like I could express myself. Whereas like in LA, also I was by myself. I was an only child. Well, I grew up as an only child. I didn't have that person to like bounce things off of. And then when I did want to make something, my dad was working and he'd say, well, we got to wait until the weekend or, you know, maybe after I'm done working, we can go to the store or, you know, like it was always not so instant. I felt more myself when I was on that side of the country than I did when I was in, in California. Okay. But yeah, so going from where you were trying to get out of your sheltered life, I was trying to find shelter. <laughs> Phoenix was, especially when I was growing up there, was nowhere as big as LA. But I grew up sheltered. My mother was single when she had me. She did get married a little bit later. 
And I was an only child for six and a half years. Even though I had siblings later, we weren't companions in that way. And I have never really talked about it, but my stepdad and I never got along and he had issues with alcoholism and he was a rageaholic. So we never connected that way. So I've always felt by myself, even though I grew up in a house with eventually three other siblings. And then my mother and I were... <laughs> Another story. Very cool woman. I recently described her not cool as an awesome, but cool as in she was not a very affectionate person. I had similar experiences where I would be around families that were quote unquote more traditional. I liked it because it felt more spontaneous. You know, uh, being around a family where the mom baked cookies and I'll go out and play and I'll call you when we're done. I'm like, Oh, wow. This is like TV. <laughs> that was my aunt's house. My aunt was very much like, oh, I'll let you guys know when lunch is ready. I don't want to call it normalcy. I think we need to um, normalize all types of families. Yeah. I haven't really talked about it again on this platform, but I put down for me coming out as gay at 28, which I know by today's standards is late for a lot of people. One important event preceded that, that helped me to see that I needed to be honest about that part of myself. No one was shocked. (laughs) (laughs) I used to joke and I still do that. I didn't come out of the closet. The door just opened and I just kind of fell. I face planted. (laughs) (laughs) Because I stopped running. I just stopped running from myself more than anything. My mother wasn't thrilled. My stepdad was, he was alive when I came out. It didn't fit in line with how I saw myself. I was always the perfect little boy, in air quotes. And I think a part of me, especially in my early 20s and on, people assumed it and it really bothered me. It was a major change for me, a beautiful change, a scary one, more internally for any of us, I believe. It was the time where I needed to be honest about that part of myself. I remember the first year after I came out, I cried a lot and I couldn't use the G word. I've been in therapy twice. I was in therapy a few months that first year after coming out. And my therapist used to say, so you're gay. And I'd say, we're not using the G word right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard your coming out story. This is actually the first time I've heard you talk about coming out. I like that I face plant. <laughs> Again, no one was shocked. I just wasn't ready. I'd say around the age of 25, mm-hmm. I had kind of stopped trying to attempt to date women, but I still couldn't say to myself, I'm gay. I didn't grow up in a religious home necessarily. We went to church sporadically. Yeah, it wasn't those things that were keeping me from being honest. It could have been, too, that I had this very narrow perception of what it meant to be gay, especially during the time I came up. Quiet is not synonymous with gay or shy, but I knew those were things that people tick boxes on for me. Oh, he's quiet. He likes to read. He's sensitive. Check, check, check. And uh, yeah, that was a major thing for me to come out. And it was one of the most beautiful things. It's how I eventually met your dad. And your dad, Cayetano, really helped me. I used to say he teaches me how to be a better gay man because he's so authentic in that part of himself. I've learned from him a lot. I grew up with gay parents, but I heard a lot of people's opinions and a lot of people were not okay with it. And this is 90s and early 2000s. Now, there was more openness about it. But even then, you know, I know a few kids, teens who are afraid to come out to their parents because it's that, oh, I'm okay with other people being gay. But then when it's your own kid, they're like, oh, no, no, that's not okay. Why are we more 
accepting of the negativity than the positivity. It's kind of an amazing thing, you know, even not just for kids, but for us as adults. You know, I had a comment made to me about my hair and it really hurt me. And I had to stop and say, but I like it. I chose it and I like it. And I don't know if it's like a rude comment. I'm trying to justify it because this person's very open and very honest. But sometimes being honest is just being rude. And there is a fine line. And it's good that you gave yourself permission to cycle through those emotions. I think that's healthy. And it reminds me years ago, around the time that I came out as gay, as I remember someone said, 99 people in a room of 100 will say, we love you, Eric, and we accept you who you are. But it's human nature to focus on that one person that says, I don't like you. And then you spend the rest of the night saying, how can I get that one person to like me instead of focusing on the 99 people that I know love me unconditionally? And sometimes it's just comments are made in the moment sometimes. And I do have to recognize that I've done that too. But I like that you honored and say, no, I'm not okay with this. Yeah. To end on this with me coming out as gay. You know, this other podcast that I do is focused on the LGBT community. And I've had a couple guests younger who have talked about, you know, my family knows I came out, but they don't talk about it. They tell me everyone else's business in the family, but they never ask me if I'm dating or whatever. And I was like, you know, mine does the same. And for years I've excused it. And I'll say here, and I'm not going to edit this out. It hurts me because I feel like a therapist with my family. A lot of times is they call me up to tell me their business and everyone else's business and who they're dating or married to and not, but they never ask me about my life. And it bothers me. I want to process that and see how I need to move forward. You can't change people. No. You can only control how you react and how you take it. And I love that you said, I'm going to process this. I've had that happen with friendships where because I'm a little bit more quieter and stuff, people call me, like talk about their problems and stuff. But it's never been like, oh, how are you doing? How's your day going? You know, like I had the occasional friendship where I realized this is a one-sided deal. And I don't mind listening, but then I've had to realize this is something I need to distance myself with because they kind of dump everything. And then I get left with all those emotions and feelings. And then I'm like, this is affecting me. Like you're feeling better, but now I'm feeling like crap. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. Because I have someone in my life who I've known for a long time. I've noticed it for years, maybe because of this journey I'm on in Europe. I can't deny what you just shared. This person doesn't call to say, oh, Eric, how are you? You know how Mm -hmm. we have those friendships where, oh, I was just thinking about you and thought I'd call you. Or even if I'm calling to talk about myself, there's an exchange back and forth. And I've noticed for a long time that this person calls me to dump or texts me to dump, but never to say, oh, I was just thinking about you. How are you? It's like, it's not even my energy. It's their energy. Yeah. And this is why I've kind of gotten into crystals and meditation a little bit, because I need to be able to release other people's energy. (laughs) They say science or whatever is energy. And it's the same, I think, with human interactions. And thank you for bringing that up because that wasn't on my list. But (laughs) it is something I need to allow myself to be honest about. You just know when you see that name pop up, like, this is most likely not connected to this person thinking about me. Yeah. There was a little sketch comedy thing I saw on YouTube recently. It was talking about how, you know, the sassy black 
female character in films and she's listening and doling out the advice and then the skit the other character goes oh my god thank you so much I appreciate you and then she goes oh yes I'm here for you girlfriend anytime so let me tell you about my day and she goes oh but that's not how you're usually written (laughs) and I think it's that way for those of us who are quiet you know more subdued yeah who are quiet and introverted yeah they're like oh you have something to say this conversation today feels very therapeutic. So thank you. And it always does, but I think I am giving myself permission to be a bit more raw this time. And I thank you for that. Not that we have to, but I think it is important. I only had one more thing to share. You know, I've been in the UK now this time, over five months, I know. I'm due back in Sweden. I got a ticket to go back at the beginning of September. Teresa, he's coming home. (laughs) Yes, we talked yesterday briefly. (laughs) As you know, this is a huge restart for me, deciding to restart parts of my life here in Europe, hopefully in Sweden long term. And so in the last few days, specifically yesterday, I've been emotional and it's a beautiful thing. And one of the gifts of this podcast and of our friendship is that I'm learning to not hop over my emotions, but to walk through them. And I'm sad about leaving here, of course, but I'm excited about returning and a little not nervous, but, you know, aware of things as I'm still looking for work there. This was a huge restart when I decided to make the decision to do this because you and your dads and our friendship network, I consider you guys family. Um, you heard me talk about wanting to do this for a few years. And so I'm so grateful that I had your support because uh, I've had people say that, oh, you're so brave in doing this and doing this by yourself. And I'm like, I have an army of people behind me. I'm not doing this by myself. No, you're not alone. Most definitely. Okay, this is my own opinion. But I think it's great like how people like, oh, you're so brave, Eric. To me, I'm like, Eric is being Eric. (laughs) You've already done these transitions before. I know Eric. He's strong. He's an individual person. And I've always known you to like, oh, I'm going to Spain on my own. And I'm like, whoa okay (laughs) and I think that's awesome and like my full support and yeah you are brave and strong but sometimes I feel like people are surprised and it's just like why are you surprised well I think it's what you said a couple times in this conversation is as introverts as quiet people there are expectations around introverts and introversion and this assumption that we don't like to live life or that we want to be hermits that's my perception is there's a surprise in that even some of the things you shared about like your restart with your life, you know, after your marriage, I perceive sometimes people think, oh, how are you going to survive after this? And it's like, Jenny's a strong woman. Uh, Your strength for me, which is a huge example, I think that's where I really saw you in some ways for the first time is like, you admitted how you felt and you found a way to be a stronger woman. I can understand because he was so I want to say dominant, but that's not what he is. He's not dominant. He's manipulative. And I'm okay saying that now and being open about it because I'm no longer his wife and I no longer have to cover for his bullshit. Speaking my truth, it was all about him and his friends and his family. So I feel a lot of people were like, oh, well, what is she going to do? She's so quiet and she's like, so yeah, in herself at some point, I did fully emotionally depend on him and he kind of dictated how I felt and how I needed to be and act and I unfortunately changed myself 
because I felt I needed to be what he wanted me to be. But at the end of the day, even changing who I was to match more of what he wanted, it was still not good enough for him. You know, he still walked away. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, after a lot of therapy and stuff, I feel like saying that he was dominant is giving a compliment. He wasn't. It was a manipulative, controlling situation. That's the reality of it. I don't know how many times I had a cover for him, but he wouldn't allow me to go somewhere and be like, oh no, we have plans. We have other things that we need to do. So I'm sorry, I can't go. The reality was I was in a controlling relationship. Mm. I maintained a lot of his personality private, part of it for fear, part of it because I go back to defending him after 10 years of covering for him. It's a hard thing to let go of. I'm still breaking a lot of habits. The biggest thing for me was how many times he said his friends were only being nice to me because, you know, they were his and I would never be able to make friends. Mm. And then coming out of that relationship and meeting a group of great women, other moms who, like I said, that Thanksgiving before COVID hit, it was just, I wanted to cry because I was like, these women came over to have dinner with me because they are my friends and they appreciate me and they love me and they like my personality. Everybody says, Jenny, you're a great person, but allowing that one person to say like, your personality is not so great. That's been a big change because I've had to redefine myself, not even redefine myself, find myself underneath all these changes that I had done to become this person and find myself and find who I truly was and find my love. And, you know, there's still some times where I have to stop myself because I'm explaining and people are looking at me like, you don't have to explain your reasoning to me. Like, it's fine. If you don't want to do this, you don't have to do this or for wanting to do something. Like I have to give it good enough for them to approve it. No is a complete sentence, as I say. Or if I want to do something, it's like, I don't really need your approval. I can just go do it. So I'm I'm going to talk about the hair thing. I'll post pictures. I have a video. My daughter, I mean, any girl, any woman, any girl, your hair is a really important thing. We use it to express ourselves. The first time she cut her hair was in kindergarten. She saw this little girl with a little bob cut and she really liked it. So she's like, mom, I really want to cut my hair, but I don't want you to cut it. I want to go to an actual hair salon. I'm like, okay, that's fine. So I took her to a hair salon. She's so excited. She's so happy. She looked super cute and just adorable. And she's just excited about it. And then she went with her dad and then she came back and she was a little disappointed. She's like, mom is it okay to have short hair? And I was like, yeah, it's fine. I have short hair. But that was the first time. And I was kind of like, okay, this is kind of weird, but whatever. I kind of let it go. I was like, you look beautiful. You know, you love it and you're playing with it or whatever. A few years later, she goes and we find a new hair place. And I was like, okay, well you choose what you want. Like, that's fine. And at this point, she had been going with the psychologist already. And the psychologist had notified me that she has a lot of anxiety. And mm. the anxiety comes from her not having control over the situations that have happened in her life. Your parents are splitting up. You have no control over that. When we went to this hair, I was like, you know what, Scarlett? It's your hair, your choice, your body, whatever you want. So she cut her hair. 
Again, super short, really cute little curly bob. She was so excited. They put glitter in her hair. They braided it. They put flowers in it. Like (laughs) she got the glam chair. So she was super excited. And of course, once again, I took her to her dad's and then I picked her up. She got in the car and started crying. And she said, daddy said, girls look prettier with long hair and that he prefers girls with long hair. It freaking killed me as much as I was like, your hair looks beautiful. Like everybody was telling her, her hair looks beautiful. Few words and her world came down. And I called my dad, Cayetano. I was like, do you know someone who can cut hair, who can cut my hair right now? We went to their house and I'd let Scarlett cut off all my hair. Mm. I felt like I needed to have her understand short hair doesn't make you any less beautiful or less of a woman. And so right now I took her to get a trim. She panicked maintenance or learning maintenance. And she was like, mom, I don't want it any shorter. This is as short as I want it. I was like, Scarlett, they're just going to take like a couple centimeters, just the tip of your hair. Like, don't worry about it. It's fine. I swear. It's like, if I had taken her to the doctor's office and told her she was going to like have surgery with anesthesia, like it was just a full on panic attack. That has been a major reason why I'm so scared to get into another relationship or to pursue a relationship because I don't want that happening again. You know, I've had women tell me like, oh, you're still young. You'll find someone. And I'm like, but I'm not looking for someone. Like I found myself. That's good enough for found me. Found <laughs> yourself. Yeah. And that's important, whether we're single or not, or I should say for myself. I didn't realize what it was until I got out. Right. And I think that's important, especially one that you've just been open about. And I think you've said this before, is that I have to be okay with this decision. I don't care about the chatter. As my mother used to say, I can't control what people say about me behind closed doors and sometimes to my face. (laughs) Exactly. I'm not a religious person. I went to church something that was really enlightening for me. The speeches they were giving were kind of impactful and I kind of turned them to fit my spirituality. Um, And there was one, I think he was mainly talking to parents who had children of addiction. It really hit home for me where they were like, you cannot control this person. You can offer them all the help, but then there's sometimes where you just have to like take them in your hand, throw them up in the sky and say, God, He's your problem now. Right. I did that. I walked out of that place so much lighter. Mm. I went into therapy, you know, I dealt with a lot of emotions and I got through it. Nothing beats how happy I am right now. So that is why I cut my hair short. And that is my story of why I have a huge change in my life. I don't think I had gotten into it. I think I've been really afraid to get into it. Well, I think I shared it once, probably last year, early episodes, but a person in the media said that it's best to share about things that were emotional during the time we were going through them, to share about them once we've gotten to the other side of it. We're a podcast and it's a public platform. And anything I know for me that I've shared today, I won't recant it. I think that's the word because I've gotten to the other side of it, or I'm at a place now where I can take any type of negativity that may come as a result of it. There was a quote I read that said, the minute I become a choice, take me out. 
Ah, uh, I like that. And also, it's like if that had never happened, you and I would never be here talking, Eric. I would have never bonded with you more. I would have never bonded with you know my parents more. Are we leaving off on that note? Anything extra? Nothing extra for me. I like leaving off on acceptance of the positivity. All right. Well, everybody, thank you for joining us. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It got a little raw and intense. I think all our changes, Eric, your changes are beautiful. And, you know, you're already a courageous person and brave person. That is who you are. I'm excited to have you back in Stockholm and see what Stockholm brings you for the next three months. Yes, I'll keep you posted. Well, of course, I'll keep you posted. So, yeah. All right. So have a great day, everybody. Thank you for spending time with us. If you have questions or a story you'd like to share, email us at wallflowersinbloom2020 at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at wallflowers underscore in underscore bloom and search for us on Facebook under Wallflowers in Bloom. If you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and CastBox. Until next time.